put your stuff on the table and evaluate it right now and say, is this what I want to be known for and I'm going to be proud of five years from now? Welcome back to the interview podcast of the Y Millbank Podcast Network from Millbank, South Dakota. I'm Craig Weinberg. Uh, Millbank, uh, com is the website for all the shows that come out of the studio. Uh, today is a very special show. I, I know I say that a lot, but this one is, is especially uh, exciting for me because I think it was uh, in 2014 or 15, I can't exactly nail down the date, that I uh, attended Oda Bismarck. Um, an event that Hugh Weber uh, began, oh man, more than a decade ago, I believe. I want to say 07 was his first one he did. Um, and it really, the concept of it was uh, ODA is the last three letters of North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota. And the theory is that within those three uh, states, <clears throat> yeah, we have some distance uh, re- restrictions just because of the rural nature of the states. Um, but there is a ton of creativity within the people and the community uh, in those three states. And so he wanted to bring that together and create an, a, a community around the, the creatives. And that's just a broad word, but around the creatives in the Oda region, he called it. Well, at that Bismarck event, uh, I was sitting there with a group of high school kids uh, from Millbank that we had taken up. And uh, one, of the, one of the speakers was an eccentric man with white hair um, wearing phenomenal clothing, a vest, really trendy looking, uh, but, but not weird, like looking like cool. Like I want to get to know that guy. And it was Gino Church uh, from, are you in South Carolina or North yes. Carolina? South Carolina. South Carolina. And uh, I just, as I sat through your presentation, it just, it blew me away your, uh, your, your perspective on community and on, people and on life. Um, so first of all, thank you so much for taking the time. This has been the crazy uh, scheduling issue trying to get this in, um, but welcome to the show. Thanks, Craig. It's, a, it's an honor to be here. Thank you. A couple of years ago, you were diagnosed with diabetes. Yes? Yeah. Yes. Yes. What did that do to your, um, your life, your career, your mental state? Because I mean, that, that's a big radical change in your life. Yeah, I, th- I think, uh, you know, I think as we get older and we, we, we come to learn that there's going to be things that happen that we're not prepared for. And it's how we rise up um, against those challenges. And, and I'm not saying that they happen for a reason, but, but sometimes it appears they do. Mm-hmm. I, I think for myself, um, I was in a, in a place of coasting with my work. Um, I think I was very content with what we were doing. We were very successful. It brains on fire with the work that we were doing, especially the community work. Um, I, I don't think I was really challenging myself to come up with new perspectives and also putting the work that I was doing on the table in evaluating it at a personal level and a professional level. Well, I, I, in about a three to four month period of time, I knew something was wrong. Um, to be honest, I was in just total denial. I'm a big biker spinner and I was losing weight and I thought it was me getting in shape. Oddly enough, I spoke at Disney um, in early part of February of 2016 at a 
medical convention convention. It was actually called the Wellness Underground. Hmm. And it was um, people there from doctors to therapists to counselors, nutritionists that are trying to redefine wellness as, as a as a whole body thing and just going to the doctor for a preventive measure you do this and it was there that it one of my happiest places i am a, a disney nut um <laughs> I, I i grew up my parents took me there as a young boy um the first year it opened i, I saw those photos for the first time my mother pulled them out my dad recently passed of COVID and we were going through photos and she pulled these photos out and I was like, I'd never seen those. And it was me sitting at the front of Disney and it looks just so empty compared to today. But anyway, (laughs) um, anyway, Disney's my happy place. And I was so miserable. Um, I was, I felt, I couldn't tell what was wrong. It was classic diabetes symptoms, going to the bathroom a lot constantly hungry, constantly thirsty, um, foggy, brain fog. So you drink caffeine, trying to wake yourself up, just nuts. Well, we were doing a scavenger hunt at Disney Studios. And I sat down with uh, a guy there that was a a therapist, uh, is a doctor, but he does a lot of therapy and wellness. And I don't think he meant to, but he said, you know, what's going on? And I would sit down and I said, man, I'm just so exhausted i'm thirsty and i was just drinking a big bottle of smart water Mm. and he said why don't you just tell me what was going on and what's going on and and then he said you know um i noticed earlier your right leg is like swollen it's like double the size of your left leg i had shorts on and i was like shit are you kidding me (laughs) wow and and i looked down and he said yeah he said i i think he said you know he like held my arm for a minute and he checked my pulse. He said, he said, you're fine. He said, but I, I really, I want you to go to the doctor. And he said, when are you going home? And I said, I actually leave tomorrow evening. And I get home and he said, why don't you call your doctor and I'll call you Monday. I, I want to just check on you and see how you were. I, I got, I literally, we got to our room after that day in the park, left a message with my doctor, who's a friend of mine. He immediately called me back and said, when you get back in, let me see you. I saw them at 7 p.m. and I blew the the dot the meter that they checked the the prick test for your blood. It, mm-hmm. My blood sugar was so high; it was well over 500. I was in wow. I was in a in a critical situation with my kidneys, and but anyway, to your question, um, it was a wake up call. Yeah, and it it made me reflect on was I really doing anything of value? And that when you go through a moment like that and you wonder, you're going to get your life back under control. Is this, is this it? Mm-hmm. What, what are you doing? What are you doing? That's the mark you want to leave left behind. Is it just that you earned a living and blah, blah, blah. And that's it. Or is there something else out there? And I've always felt like for me, um, I'm not trying to put myself up on the pedestal, but I felt like, my goal and my um, opportunity is not just to build community for brands that are transactional, but to to build community initiatives that are transformative for the good of the people that they serve. And I had a I had a trip planned as a pro bono project to Australia 
to work with the Australian Childhood Foundation. They had read my first book after I spoke in Sydney in about 2012 or 2013. And they wanted me to come down and help them find out what was going on with their culture. They couldn't pay brains on fire. So they gave me a trip and I took it. Well, I wanted to not go. I was petrified. I literally had only been diagnosed a diabetic for a month. So I, I know the listeners can't see this, but my, my bookshelf is full of pirate books that date back to my childhood when I pulled Treasure Island off the bookshelf at my grandparents. Mm. And I, my, I'm an avid armchair amateur pirate <laughs> researcher, <laughs> which is, I know sounds weird. And I've always had this weird thing about what we can learn from pirates about democracy, um, division of labor, division of plunder, and that it didn't matter your color, where you came from, your sexual persuasion, even your sex, you were treated equal. Hmm. And, um, and, everyone, you had, and you had a job responsibility to do. Yes, everyone on the ship had a job to do. Mm -hmm. um, when they went into war, everyone went to war. Didn't matter if you were a cook, you went to war. And, and so I went into that trip and I decided to test some new mechanics I was working on for Insight. And I also started writing down an outline for a possible book called Pirates for Good. And um, we, had a, we had a contract with Wiley, our publisher, to do a third book. And I had a, a first writer refusal, so I had to submit it. Mm. And Brains on Fire decided they wanted that to be the next book. Um, I agreed. Um, we lost our publisher. Our editor got a new editor. They thought it was the weirdest thing ever. It was a cult book, you know, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Probably wouldn't happen today. Right. But um, I'm going to be a little bit more careful. But anyway, <laughs> um, I started developing a thing called the shared ship because I, I really, it's really funny, Craig, about I, I, I stood back on it and I thought, okay, this must be too extreme. Hugh Weber um, brought me back to South Dakota and I told him I was working on this pirate thing. And he said, well, come to South Dakota and talk about it. And so that was the first time I taught pirates was in why South Dakota and the Dakotas in general mean so much to me. And I had a crazy trip there because Hugh took me to, um, to meet the person in charge of the crazy horse Memorial. Oh, cool. And I was, I was reading, I've got tons of books on, um, my, 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 my mother's side. I have a little bit of Cherokee Catawba. Mm -hmm. Um, in my genealogy tree, tiny, tiny bit. And so I've always been interested in, in the, 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 the native culture and especially how um, so many things were taken away from them. But I, I, I've always had a real interest in Crazy Horse. So I met her and I had a really interesting question for her. At first, I said, you know, I'm, I'm trying to research for this pirate book. So is Crazy Horse a pirate? And she said, <laughs> she laughed and said, well, I don't know if I can answer that. <laughs> but I can tell you why he's special. Mm. 
and and she explained what their carving on that giant mountain represents mm -hmm. and it was when a a white surveyor asked crazy horse um where are the barriers to his people's land and he started like this way and went all the way around and said our land is where our people lie buried and she talked about greatness and that greatness is not your individual greatness greatness is something bigger than just you and me it's about what we can all achieve you know and, and of course the natives that 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 sell this land far before us um as as white european immigrants and settlers um they believed in generational development mm -hmm. you know they were looking out for first second third fourth fifth sixth gener seventh generations yeah and especially the iroquois and and so there i weirdly started mixing some of these lessons with pirates to create the ship which um i i started to develop i started to do side workshops primarily free not for profit until the opportunity came when brains on fire had new leadership i knew that there would be changes and if i really wanted to stick to building community and digging into culture mm -hmm. um i had to jump and so that's what i did and so i jumped on a pirate ship um, <laughs> not knowing not knowing that the pandemic was right around the corner right. <laughs> so uh, i'll stop there and let you see what questions that go before it took me to where i am now so well that's kind of crazy because when you and i first talked which would have been i think in 15 um on the phone mm -hmm. we had about an hour um and you were in the middle of of that journey getting yeah. into that and you talked a lot about that um you know that that you had been really exploring the that community culture within a pirate ship um one of the things that that I want to go back to just a little bit is when you're, because you're no longer with Brains on Fire. Yes. Nope, okay. Not. So when you were, like when you were, uh, when I first saw you, you talked about how you guys were, were rethinking how brands interact with their customer. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between just saying, here's our product, you need to buy it, and how you guys turned that around into more of a, a community? Uh, piece and then and then digging into that why is community such an important part of, of the transaction in a business sense but also right. in our uh, our social development well i'm writing that down as a note so i don't go off <laughs> on one of my one of my wonderful southern tangents since we love to story tell um let's see so a a, a, a class well i guess the one example i guess if i'm if you Google my name and work and brains on fires work, probably the most talked about case study that we had is Fiskars. They make the orange handled scissors okay. that you might have seen around. And if you remember your childhood, the first scissor you probably held was a Fiskar scissor. Yeah. They're made in, um, they're made in um, Finland and they're, they, they make absolutely great tools and they approached us. Well, uh, let me take a step back. Um, I ran into Suzanne Fanning, who is the, the director, who at that time was a director of, of PR for Fiskar's brand. She is now a client at Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin. So we, we are now doing this again for her. She heard me speak in New York about Rage Against the Haze. 
Um, my background right out of college, my godmother asked if I would come to DC. She was working with President Clinton and his drug control policy committees with Barry McCafferty, who was the first drug czar. And they wanted somebody young right out of college to come up and help build some messaging on meth inhalants, marijuana and tobacco use. So I had no experience in that. She flew me up. I didn't know what I was doing other than that when I was in college, one of the most insightful things that, that I did was my school was right near um, a community that was underserved, um, community of people of color. And um, art never seeped into that community. Um, the children there had no role models or were ever told of what could be as an artist, a photographer, an illustrator, mm -hmm. a poet. And so we worked with them to do with um, cameras, Polaroid, build a camera, and to show them the beauty of where they lived. That's all I knew that I'd ever done in this space. So I tried to do that in that exercise. And when I when I start when you start talking to teens, especially back then before social media, about empowerment and how are you heard? Mm. What is a self-portrait of you? And you start seeing them pull plug themselves into a jam box to just wish somebody could hear what they had to say and respect what they had to say. It was a light bulb moment for me. So for me, I started rethinking the craft that I went to school for, art director, creative director, to do television, radio, print, billboards, to what could I do to work next to people that the product or the brand or the organization was serving and, and find ways to communicate how they lift that person's life mm -hmm. up. And, and so with, and so with um, teens and Rage Against the Haze fighting tobacco prevention, it was all about empower them with leadership skills to see how special they were. That gave them a voice to be able to talk to a peer about the choice to wear the smoke or not. And so Suzanne heard this and said, can you do this for crafting? Mm. And, and we discovered that it's not about the tool. It's about what that tool allows you to do. And that's no matter where you are in the creative spe spectrum to cre create a piece of art that could be of your child. It could be of your grandmother. It could have been of your great aunt. Um, but we can all with these tools create something that we believe is beautiful. Mm -hmm. And that's all that matters. And so that led, that changed the perspective of Brains on Fire. I think, unfortunately, as social media became dominant, um, it started being the lead driver for when you talk community, mm -hmm. it started to become that community was your social media platform and your followers and getting them to like your post and, right. and post on Facebook. And it stopped becoming... Um, experiential mm -hmm. and and adding value to a person's life it was what can they add to our life as a brand or an organization that needs to get x y z mm -hmm. and so i started having a shift um pre all this i, I had before my diabetic diagnosis i i i was getting frustrated 
with, unfortunately, you build your, your agency up, you build your teams up, which means you need more money. And you start <laughs> building assets um, for departments mm -hmm. that are, are, are needed, but um, it just changes your philosophy, what you um, put out there. Because if, if you're an agency that the largest team you've got is social media, you're probably going to push ideas that are social media driven. Right. That is not necessarily community. So the great thing about it, and this is my South Dakota connection, is that during this transition, Hugh Weber and I um, talked a lot. We became dear friends. Um, he was my leading support, my shoulder, as I was going through the change of understanding that I was going to have to leave Brains on Fire. Mm -hmm. I probably knew it about six months before I did. And um, that was so much of my identity was tied up in brains on fire. It was what people perceived me to be. And, um, you know, that was not good. You know, it's not good when, when your identity is, is, is tied to an agency that's not yours, that you don't like actually own it. Right. And, and, and so there was a lot of um, just internal stuff going on. But Hugh and I started thinking about, can we build something that holds a high bar of service for community? And, and that's what we officially launched a week ago. Which is, we must be bold. We, we must right? be bold. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I hope I'm not so, rambling. On no, this, this is good. It's, it's just deciding where to go. Um, you know, that's one of the things that intrigues me about Hugh is his his ambition, yeah, um, and his his willingness to think humongous, yes. Uh, and I mean, he's been able to make that work also. Which so there's some there's some success rate there, which is pretty impressive. Um, but there's also, and he would be the first to tell you, there's also times when he wants to just throw in the towel, and I mean, like we all do when we're thinking big, um. But when I saw the rollout of that just recently, um, you know, the, the concept of designing community, can you break that down just a little bit? What does that mean? So we've had a lot of conversations about this. The biggest thing about it, the great thing about it is that we spent um, Hugh and I, with another We Must Be Bolder, um, Hugh, um, Spin Celeste, and we spent literally months opening up everything that I do, mm -hmm. everything that Hugh does. Spin is an educator in a classroom and a curriculum developer about what it is that we do mm. and what do belie we believe is necessary. Um, and so my, my take here, and it goes in that, that, that Craig, I, I've, I've come to a realization, you know, I, I've spoken all over the world. I, I can't tell you how many keynote presentations, workshops I've done in the last 10, 12 years. And if I look back on it, I've done an okay job. I think I've done an okay, a, a really good job at, at aspiring people to want to do more 
in their marketing and communications and be excited about the idea of community. Mm-hmm. I think the challenge is how to take processes and tools and rechange the way that you think. I, I, I've been, for me to step into community, you have to start by really stepping in to get getting to know the people that you want to serve to build community around. Is it an internal community or is it an external community? Is it a combination of both? Well, you can't do that with just surveys or through monitoring social media. You need to step out into the real world um, or through Zoom today mm-hmm. right. and start having conversations with people and not just how they interact with your interact with your brand, but how does it make their life better? I've done work in the in the automotive tire industry, um, BF Goodrich Michelin, and I've spent a lot of the early days of insight with BFG, um, driving around with consumers and race car drivers on um, autocross tracks. I've done Easter Jeep <laughs> Safari in Moab. I've gone to Baja. And I've I've sat alongside race car drivers, as well as everyday people that are putting their Jeeps through things that scared the death out of me. (laughs) And to find out what is it that they need and what do they want to be a part of? Mm. And what I mean by what do they need, what's missing in their life that we can bring to them and help to them. And so, you know, for me, community is starting to have... um, Empathy with the idea of of looking for something that will be aspirational to the people that you serve. It's also a gut check on truth. A lot of brands think that they do this for their customer and you don't realize it, if that's true or not, until you go out and you start doing that research. Mm -hmm. Then you can start to see what can we do to build something that brings them together that they will value, that they will want to be a part of, that they might want to raise their hand and say, I want to be a leader of, that we can earn a right that they will wear that identity, that swag. Um, when they go to the grocery store or cut their grass or they've gone on vacation and flying on the plane, they wear that shirt because it says, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. And so communities, uh, for me, it's my, my university that I went to. It's the football forum that I'm a part of. It's uh, the Bronco forum because I have an order for a new Bronco. It's the Mustang forums because <laughs> I've got a Mustang. It's my Disney forums. It's my technology forums, things that I'm a part of. And then it's the things that are real meaningful that are my community. Like when I lost my father, it's my brothers that reached out and sisters and and said, I'm here for you. Mm-hmm. And so that's what community is. Community is, is, is about humanity. And, and that's a struggle for brands to kind of get out of the way where they see that it's just not about them. They have to be willing to step in to know that this is a 50-50 thing. Um, a community has to be mutually beneficial for a brand or an organization and the people they serve, or the brand and organization aren't going to use their money to support it. But it's how do we step in and and go through an explorative, ethnographic, anthropological dig and to find out what truly matters inside and outside. And that's your you have to do that before you have any hope 
of building something that's truly a community. Mm-hmm. And so, so I know that still sounds fuzzy, but community is, is kind of like this moving enigma. We want to shape it into being a forum or a message board or our Instagram channel, or that we have a once a year event. Those all play a part in the ecosystem of a community. But there's got to be that personal drive for Craig that when you got up this morning and you fired up that coffee pot, what did you do? Mm-hmm. Did you um, listen to a YouTube? Did you watch a YouTube video from one of the communities that you're a part of? Maybe it's technology. It could be your passion for hiking or whatever it may be. Did you do that? Did they earn that cup of coffee this morning for, with you? Interesting. Uh, and so I try to, I try to make sure that when, you know, it, it, it's scary. I mean, it, I mean, we, we, we're, we went, that's the beauty about what we're doing right now with We Must Be Bold is that we have thrown Hugh's 20 years of experience, my 20 years of experience, spin as a 10 plus year educator curriculum. And just, he's listening. He's like our Yogi Yoda, um, <laughs> just a, a really, he's a great person to um, sit and listen because he thinks differently. He thinks about the rubrics and, and how to break that down. And he's not afraid to say, what do you mean by this? Right. But we're starting to get there because it is fuzzy. And the scary thing about it is there's a lot of brands out there that want it because they see a case study and they mm-hmm. say, gosh, I ne- we, we need that. We need to build a community. We need 12 ambassadors to do X, Y, Z for us. And um, that's great. But getting to the point of building that, we're probably going to find out things that might add on to that possibility or detract and say, we need to start out a lot slower. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, that's, uh, I-, I wish I had a clean cut, you know, <laughs> definition we've got a pretty good one we're getting Mm -hmm. we've got a pretty good po point of view on the we must be bold website Mm -hmm. and and so i think we're starting to really articulate that well and um in in our way and and i and i think what that is is i think the other thing about it is that i believe that to build a community today takes very courageous leaders and i will say the reason it is important today is with the pandemic and the isolation that we felt with the social injustices, um, relevance for brands and organizations has been turned upside down. Hmm. In those brands and organizations that already had authentic channels that created some sense of a relationship are way ahead of the ones that are having to do that just out of the out of the cold and start up because we're now having uh well why should i trust you are you just doing that now because you're on the verge of going out of business mm-hmm. you know it's it's a uh, so you asked about the importance it is critical today i know we might all be uh having zoom fatigue but i can still tell you with the clients that are still doing zooms not every day, but experiential Zooms, people want to participate and be there. And mm-hmm. they're thankful for that opportunity 
to feel some form of connectedness with other people. Um, I, I kind of want to dig into the social, the new social construct we're, we're creating in America right now and maybe around the world. But first, um, thinking back to, to a, a corporate entity that, that I believe at least used to have the idea that it's not about our product, it's about what you do with it and how it informs your life, and that's Apple. Um, yeah. But now, I, I, I assume it's similar, um, but I know when Steve Jobs was there, it was not about um, you need to buy a Mac computer. It was about do you want your life to be better? Yeah. You're gonna, it's going to be better if you have a Mac computer. But it's not because the Mac computer necessarily. It's because we know how to make everything perfect for you. You don't have to think about it. That seems early on as one of the, were they one of the first that really nailed that community concept? I mean, it turned into snobbery and it still is at some level. Sure. Well, no, you, 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 well, right before COVID, the, the pandemic and the lockdown, I, I, it's funny you bring that up. I put a new intro into the two keynotes that I did right before all that happened. And I did it to kind of tie in my whole Pirates for Good thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how much you know, um, know this, but, you know, Steve Jobs kind of created a war inside of Apple when they were working on the Macintosh. Oh, yeah. I was in college. Mm -hmm. And I... I, it, it, I, re, I remember this vividly that was going through a magazine. It might've been Rolling Stone, but anyway, there was an ad for the Macintosh and I was a, like a first year art student. Everything was by hand. And I was like, <laughs> wow. And my, my professor said, you know, I think we're years away, but eventually we're not going to be using Amberlith and Ruby Lith and using X-Acto knife and cutting our own type. They're saying we're going to be able to do that all in a, on a computer screen. And the screen was like this big. Right. <laughs> well, Steve Jobs wanted to awaken that sense of change inside of the organization. So he took the Mac team, put them in another building. A woman there um, sewed the, uh, a pirate flag. Really? The Apple, <laughs> Apple logo on it. Yeah. And they flew it over the building and 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 their initial spirit to to create the macintosh which was a true revolution um that i mean think about what what would we be today without it right um without the mouse without i mean anything ibm choked on that one <laughs> yeah so so to your to your point though they, their ethos, their archetype is the pirate, the rebel, the maverick. It, it, we now have an inherent archetypal story about Apple that if we are creative or think we're creative, that is the products that we use. Mm -hmm. And, and so I, I, they, whether he did it, consciously or subconsciously that when they did that first commercial, that first Super Bowl, that, um, what's his name? Who did, um, Hodgman a, 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 who did aliens, um, oh, the producer, oh. um, when he directed it, yeah. um, the Bruckheimer, who was that? 
Oh, heck, alien. Why does the name completely skip me? Alien. <laughs> Prometheus producer. It's, um, oh, heck. Ridley Scott. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ridley Scott did, did that commercial. I saw it and it was like, what the H? Well, I can tell you, I played that video in November of 2019 at an event in Cincinnati. The majority of that audience was under 40. More than half had never seen it. Mm. Never seen it. Um, I really don't know what that means other than it's interesting that Apple probably today um, is seen as a cool factor. It's expensive. It does have a really intuitive user face system. Um, there might be a sense of that creative Jolly Roger pirate thing, but not maybe as much for me at a very young age where it was like, we're, this is against the man. Mm. This is, um, this is fighting the control that the society is saying that we have and Apple released that. And so it's been interesting and, and they've done campaigns that kind of have done that, but you're right. I do think, I think, I think the thing that Apple does that's really smart is that, you know, they, they don't, they don't really build a community with their Apple branded stuff, but it it feels like it when you go into an Apple store pre COVID it felt communal mm -hmm. the way the staff worked with you, talk with you, um, the way people operated in that space. It was a different type of environment. And I do think that experiences play a key role in community. And we will get back to that place to where um, we, we need to think about experiences that we have virtually, like mm -hmm. in Zooms and experientially when we step into it in the future, those are key roles for community because we bring people together and we should do ways to where it's just not us talking to them, but there's opportunities for them to connect with one another. Yeah, And that's where we make some mistakes. But I think Apple, you know, they know what they're doing, they're beast and, um, but anyway, um, I, I jumped off my pirate tangent there, but, but um, it's, it's, I think that's what's, you know, it'd be really interesting to do a study on that because I think you would find some that, that think like I think and others that think of it directly as a creative tool. Mm -hmm. Well, cause one of the latest, um, I, I think it was a Mac computer commercial, but it's very likely it was just a straight up Apple commercial. Um, I don't think they said the word ever. Apple Mac in the yeah. entire machine. What it was, it was short videos, all black and white, grayscale, which is, you know, creates a look. Uh, if you look at a Mac computer, they look the same. Now, the, the, the new Mac Pro is a whole different animal, but that's designed for a whole different animal. But if you get it, if you have a laptop, uh, and before now, an iPad, um, you know, with the new phones and iPads, they're adding a bunch of colors, which I'm sure Steve Jobs pushed back against greatly. Because he wanted consistency. Same thing. Um, yeah. And it worked because it did create, you know, you, you saw that Apple logo on the back of that Mac. And you assumed, or at least I did, that, um, and this could be wrong, but that they were a little more affluent. 
and they were creative because you didn't do anything non-creative on a Mac. If you wanted to do boring things like spreadsheets and numbers, you did that on a PC because you yeah. were boring. I mean, the whole Mac versus PC campaign just was that, you know, with Hodgman there as the PC. He's, he's brilliant, but it showed that. But the latest commercial, it ended with the Mac logo, the Apple logo. And it was a whole bunch of things. Maybe in the entire shot, you only saw a brief glimpse of their logo on the machine being used. But it's, it, it's, it's programming, if we're honest about it. Well, well, <laughs> but it, it works. To, to your point, um, Seth Godin talks about it in um, This Is Marketing. He talks about semiotics mm -hmm. in the power of a, and the power and strength of a, power, of a, of a symbol. And I, I, you know, that goes back to the Jolly Roger. I also talk about branding. Um, there's very few symbols that can stay culturally relevant for a long time. Nike's the one of them, isn't it? Yeah, the cross. Mm -hmm. The Jolly Roger flag was created in the early 1700s. And it's still, <laughs> I mean, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the Super Bowl next week are flying a Jolly oh, yeah. Roger. Um, they have a pirate ship in the end zone. Apple's <laughs> logo as a modern day brand is probably worldwide. I don't know that there's another identity more recognizable to where all they've got to show is that yeah. icon. And you get it even more so than, say, Target. You know, you used to, I mean, probably Coca-Cola is probably, you know, there, there's research out there that says is how a product is framed in the environment. Mm -hmm. And that also creates that that product is the most talked about. That's why Coca-Cola typically is the number one most word of mouth talked about brand because it's the most seen in the environment. Well, pe people ask for a Coke and they don't mean yeah, that, especially that. in the South. Yeah. <laughs> they don't mean that brand. Yeah. It's like you ask yeah. for a Kleenex or a Band-Aid. Yeah. I'm not. That, that's you know. it. That's it. So then the other application, you know, my, my other thing is is community based on word of mouth principles, word of mouth strategies. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing that Hugh and I have talked a lot about. And kind of, I guess if I have an expertise, it is in being a geek about word of mouth marketing. And that's, and I kind of use the three main drivers of word of mouth to kind of build the grid and the foundation for community executions. Can you give us the, the, the cliff notes version of what you guys did for uh, Greenville? Oh, for that Greenville? Mm -hmm. or, yeah. or should I said should I have said Greenville? <laughs> no, no, yeah, 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 yeah. That so the the you know the the Greenville campaign was really the same type of thing is that we went out and we talked to people about um, what was unique about Greenville, and mm -hmm. we we started to go into some of the parks downtown. We talked to stakeholders. We talked to folks that were tourists. And we started at that time looking at through Flickr because they're really Instagram was just getting started. Um, images, what were people taking a picture of? And Greg Cordell, who is a, still at, he's one of the owners at Brains on Fire. He's still there. He's a dear friend of mine. He and I were sitting in the room and our intern put up all these images. And we're natives to Green, Greenville. And we were like, where is that? Nope. <laughs> where is that? And, the, and, and so, we uh, there there's like 36 Greenbulls in America. And so it hit us that we're that Greenville. Mm. And we found that Greenville doesn't have that one thing. We don't have the Eiffel Tower or Six Flags or 
a, a one giant Mecca tourist destination. We have a lot of little things that people find remarkable. Mm-hmm. And so we also twisted it. And so instead of bringing outsiders in to talk about how great Greenville was, we started out by taking insiders, Greenvillians, talking about what is the special thing they loved about Greenville. And it, and we used the Super Bowl thing, kind of like Apple did. We ran the commercial um, during the Super Bowl, and it created this fire of pride inside of Greenvillians that they, there was a commercial. <laughs> about our that, town. <laughs> about our yeah. town. Well, it was a local buy, but, who can, but it, mm-hmm. it ignited this pride for Greenville. I mean, people literally moved to Greenville due to the, yeah, that Greenville campaign. Mm. It is now a staple for what Visit Greenville SC does. Um, it's probably one of the most successful things um, that Brains on Fire ever did. And it was a, you know, an honor for me to be in on the, stra- the insight, insight yeah. part of that project. How important is the, the, the town square? per se in community like is it a a geographical is there a big geographical component to that Uh, that's a great question i think they're kind of camp so our client for um we must be bold uh, we work with dairy farmers of wisconsin probably Mm -hmm. wisconsin cheese and we when we set out to build a community there after we talked to all these people um, we kept hearing this one narrative come through and that was that we have like a element, almost like an elementary relationship with cheese. It's one of the first things as a child we can hold and feed ourselves. Mm-hmm. And when you talk to a cheese maker and you say, what do you hope your cheese does for people? And they say, um, I hope it makes them happy and I hope it brings them together with the people they care about. <laughs> So we wanted to set about building a sense of place, a sense of belonging, a sense of positive nostalgia. And so we created an imaginary place called Cheeselandia in Cheeselandia, <laughs> Wisconsin. And it literally um, is around that way to where there's a mayor, which is Suzanne Fanning, who was our client way back 14 years ago with Fiskars. And now she's the VP at Dairy Farmers of um, of Wisconsin, and she's the mayor, and we have she's Landian citizens that can join and be a member, <laughs> and they're a part of the home. We we do some really interesting, fun stuff with our virtual events, um, and people. We now have gotten to the point where we have to run a lottery um, to to because we there's so many people that can't get in. Really? <laughs> um, yeah. And so, but you're absolutely right. You know, communities are, there's never a cookie cutter approach, mm-hmm. but I think if you have an opportunity to create a sense of, of place, that town square, that is, that, that is where we can all live around it mm-hmm. and we can all come out and meet in the lawn. Yeah. Um, we can maybe go into the same yoga studio, the same coffee shop, the same place to get a dessert and, or that lunch spot that I know I'm going to see you every Wednesday, um, that builds trust, um, um, a sense of care for one another. And I think far too 
few communities are constructed to um, help us with our humanity. Well, it's, so al think, it's almost like a, uh, the old, and I say old because it always shows up in the old films and uh, old <laughs> stories, but, but the concept of the, the courtyard, you know, and, and in the courtyard you have, you know, there's some restaurants, there's the baker in the corner, and then, you know, up above you have people living, kids are playing yo-yo and rolling a ball in the, in the street. It's that, you know, the day starts, you go to work, you do your stuff, and you converge on these spots. Yeah. Um, in America, we don't really, that's not encouraged very much in our, in our typical societal structure right now. Why not? Well, you know, it, it's, it's happening when there's communities that are trying to now be built mm -hmm. that way. Mm -hmm. um, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law live in a, a neighborhood that was constructed around um, park areas. Mm. And they're kind of like which section you're in. There's an open park and you see people there throwing the football with the kids in the neighborhood or chatting as they ran in each other with um, walking their dogs. And then there's a big giant park in the middle that's got a creek and a gazebo. They're bringing food trucks in and um, the community comes out even during COVID and orders food and they kind of sit out on picnic blankets, socially distanced. They do music. So we're starting to do those things. But what's interesting to your point, think about our entertainment and how many of the things that we gravitate to are built on these senses of imaginary communities. Hmm. Pawnee. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. Eureka, Eureka from the uh -huh. Eureka TV show, The Simpsons, um, Family Guy. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, the books that are made of imaginary um, towns and communities, we, it's like we're searching for that. Hmm. We're, we're searching for it. I, I, I can tell you, I am right now. Um, I took my parents who were in their early 80s in 2019. My sister and I took them down. They wanted to go to Disney. They said it was going to be their last time. And unfortunately for my father, it was. But we went down there and um, I realized when I was down there that I wanted to find a way sometime soon to buy into Disney Vacation Club. Hmm. And, and so I've been for two years now digging into that community of podcasters, bloggers, um, video vloggers about that. And I've had conversations with them and getting a lot of advice. And, and, and I think even that of going into these almost like made up, you know, not realistic spaces of, um, yeah, like going to the boardwalk, which is like vintage Atlantic City, mm -hmm. New Jersey. Um, gives us a sense of something that we're craving that we're not getting in our life. I think your question's really, really important. And I think that's why community is important right mm -hmm. now. Because I don't know that we're all very fulfilled, sadly. Yeah. So do you see that being harder to do in our current state with the pandemic response by different states and countries around the world, you know, where people are being discouraged from physically coming together and having, having that person-to-person -person community. Um, what do you see as a long-term effect of that uh, going forward? Or is it just going to be a blip that we will step over and it won't be a problem? Um, are, are, are we going to see some long-lasting uh, setbacks? I think, I think we, you know, it, I think we're going to see 
probably through 22, 23. I doubt we're going to see these mass gatherings mm-hmm. to where we're doing open food buffet and things like that. Mm-hmm. I think, I think we're going to be able to do in-person events, but they're going to have to be, um, you know, we're going to have to think harder about them and, uh, and, and make sure the value and the experience is needed and that it's not sacrificing too much. Mm-hmm. And um, we're we're in the, we're planning on those types of things. We've got some things I I you know because they have not even been presented to the client. I can't talk yeah. about, but but we're 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 thinking that through. You know, we're thinking, and so I think I think there I think there will be ways to do that in the future. But I think there will we will have to think of things in hybrid contexts. Right. Um, for, and, and so there might be things, which I think might be better, Craig, that where instead of get, instead of going in most of the time, you're looking at building a experience, a community experience, you want it to be as big as possible. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. It gives you that number, but it doesn't necessarily make it the best for the attendee and the guest. I think we're going to start looking at opportunities that are more niche. Okay. And doing more oppor- more opportunities, but they're crafted into finer, granular um, things, mm-hmm. whatever that means. Like, say it might be that if we want to do a, um, a dinner with a chef, we did pop-ups for Wisconsin cheese that averaged well over 150 people that ate off the world's largest cheese board. That will never happen again. <laughs> That's unfortunate, but yeah, I know. I mean, if you love cheese, it was like, like, Ooh, that was my dream. (laughs) But, um, there's ways around it. Mm -hmm. There's ways to do it. There's ways to do it socially distanced. We can also do that virtually. And we have been doing it. We've been bringing chefs on. They've been preparing food. We worked worked with, um, cheese makers to ship cheese to people all over America. If you have the will, you can do it. Yeah. And so it's, it's, I think to your point is is that we can't give up and say this is not possible because I think we can find a way to do it, but we have to do it wisely and bring people in to help gut check our ideas to make sure they're the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Because now we've just got more that we've got to think through as marketers and communicators and as organizers. um, We now have to look what's hanging above us is the health and safety and well-being of the people that we care about. And that's the people in our community. So we've got to do good by that before we do anything. Mm-hmm. That, okay, can we do that? And so you're absolutely right. I'm not going to give up on it. I think there are opportunities. I sure hope there are. Um, because I, you know, I, I want to challenge, we're challenging ourselves to think of how to do things um in this new world as we're all vaccinated and we start to walk around with 80 to 90 percent um you know um you know um possibility of fighting it yeah so um what is it uh you know the 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 idea of a pirate is romantic (laughs) <laughs> um, but it's also horrifying 
when you dig yeah. into what like the result of them. Sure. Um, you have twisted that um, to be, uh, you say, passion pirate. You're a passion pirate, um, and pirates for good. Let the, what pieces of the pirate model? I know we talked about just the way they work. They have their roles. Um, build on that a little more about how how okay. we can do that for good, and not plunder and rape and pillage. So I I. I, I bring that up immediately when I talk or when I've written things that um, that's, that's true. Um, but if we go back a little bit earlier and you think of the, the 1600s and 1700s, um, there's all, there, there have always been pirates that have taken, um, but leading into the late 1600s, a lot of buccaneers, corsairs, pirates were basically hired guns by countries to do proc to fight proxy wars for them. Then when, when Spain and England would agree to a truce, those people's incomes and what they were used for <laughs> were gone. Were gone. Yeah. At the same time, the British Royal Navy and a lot of the others were terrible at how they treated sailors. They beat them. They often didn't pay them their wages. They often were starved, even though the officers always ate, um, faced harsh punishment. And so most of the pirates that we can think of that came out of the golden age of piracy, when mm -hmm. you think of Pirates of the Caribbean, which is the early 1700s, that came about in a action to fight an injustice of the day. So is that a, a Robin Hood model, essentially? Yeah, poverty, oppression. Mm -hmm slaves that the slave ship was taken over um a lot of pirates were black hmm. um and they fought that injustice so not but they also took to pillaging murdering raping not all but the yeah. majority did so, so right. how much of that is is uh storytelling for uh of, for, to romanticize it, is, it. <laughs> yeah no a lot of, no a lot of it is storytelling mm -hmm. i am i am i'm shifting my podcast i'm going to wrap up pirates for good i mean shared ship mm -hmm. and i'm going to reframe it as pirates for good and i'm going to dig into pirates and starting to tackle that idea of pirates for good a little bit differently I am because I'm, I'm I went shared ship route because it made sense. It made sense as a business. It makes sense as a process, but it's tamer. Mm. And I think that was a mistake. And and so I I, I will tell you that I, I'm going to have a guest on who is a researcher. He got, I believe, his master's. Um, he, he did a lot of study into Blackbeard mm. and. He believes that there was a hit job performed on Blackbeard and pirates by the um, by a book that was written in the in the early uh, by Defoe, and and he he kind of lays pirates out is a little bit of a Franklin Madisonian to where they were there was such a hatred for England that the, a lot of that was a fight to them in the lot of the colonies at that time. Mm -hmm. Pirates gave them indigo and rice and things at a substantially less rate 
costs than they were getting from England. Uh, again, I'm not trying to make excuses for them, but there was a lot going on. But here's, here, here's why it's worth exploring. So they, there was injustice, which led to a mutiny, and they took over. So you would think the strong survived and the strong would leave. Mm -hmm. Well, they all came on board. Granted, they were drinking rum, but they all got on the deck after the mutiny. And they all voted. One, got, one person got a vote. Who would their captain be and who would the quartermaster be? The quartermaster was the keeper of the, the, keeper of the money, the keeper of the loot, the keeper of the food. And he made sure that they never had a, a, a tyrant as a captain again. Hmm. So they held the captain in check. So they elected the captain. They elected the quartermaster. And then when you think of Bartholomew Roberts, Black Bart, um, he started developing the code to live by. And they started the codes that, that ship lived by. And that was a democratic code. And they then um, worked together to create their flag, mm -hmm. their, that, which was unique. Every pirate had a different pirate flag. Um, and um, they started storytelling. On um, um, a Saturday night at sea, they um, sewed um, sails, they sewed rope, and they, and they told yarns. That's why spinning a yarn, how that came <laughs> was from sea, from, from sailors and from pirates. And so, you know, think about what they were ahead of. They were ahead, ahead of building a democratic nation before America. Hmm. They, they um, had a symbol that lives hundreds of years later that we believe represents something unique to like whether you're Kenny Chesney and you're No Shoes Nation, you fly a pirate flag, mm -hmm. or you're the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, or we th throw our daughter's first ever pirate birthday party, or we dress <laughs> like a pirate for Halloween, or you go on a Disney cruise ship for pirate night. Mm -hmm. I mean, so we, we, have, we have romanticized pirates, but there are some things that what I like to do is get people to say, so at the end of the day, what matters most to you and your organization? Mm -hmm. What is it that you're fighting for? That's what pirates did. Yeah. Next, what do you value? What are you valuing now that maybe you should change and value more in the future? So that's your code. What is your flag? Not your logo, but the flag that could unite you and your crew, the, the who you serve. And then not who are your crew. Let's don't, let's don't go out and hire a bunch of influencers. Mm -hmm. But let's think about more. Do we know who we serve? And what gets them up every morning? What keeps them up at night? And then who out there loves us? Who are hand raisers? Who are the people that just like our stuff? And so what could be things that we could do that could put jobs in place that they want to do, that they find value in? Maybe it's that they want to be a gardener, a better gardener. Maybe they want to be a better cook. Maybe I want to be able to ride on trails more. I want to be able to bike faster. I want to, you know, I mean, you know, Peloton is doing a great job with this, by the way, with their communities. Mm -hmm. So those are, those are, and then finally, you know, with the, the ship, the whole idea of an experience, how are you spinning your yarns? Mm. Um, are you just the only one on the stage or are your customers coming up and taking the stage? 
So I think those are things that we can apply to our community building, and those are straight from pirates. Would it be a fair comparison to the the concept of the pirate in in that sense? You know, not not the horribleness of that that we hear um, to the colonial militia during the American Revolution. You know, well, absolutely. It, 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 is that a fair comparison? Well, we did. I, I haven't read the book yet, but there's a book out on how in the Battle of New Orleans, New Orleans, they hired pirates to help fight that war, mm. the naval war. There's a great book about it. I have not, I have not read it yet. There's also someone sent me a book about um, Jewish pirates mm. and they how they fought for freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is it. It's pretty weird. It's called. Uh, Jewish Pirates of the Caribbean, how a generation of swashbuckling Jews carved out an empire in the New World in their quest for treasure and religious freedom and revenge. Mm. And so I think the twist for Pirates (laughs) for Good is revenge upon what's of a societal bad. It's um, fighting for social justice. Mm -hmm. I believe you can be a pirate for good for that. And I believe you can do that in a way to where it's... um, Nonviolent. I'm not. I don't think. I. I think you use it to where it's. It's nonviolent. It's the. For me, it's the. Is fighting, for the revenge for those of us that have diabetes, um, that have to um, scour the menu and go through apps to figure out what is low carb. It's what can we do to get more restaurants, to do things that are more low carb and keto friendly. That is changing dramatically, but what can we do? There. There's. There's all these things there that I think you can be a pirate for good. I think Blake Murkowski, who founded Tom's Shoes, was a pirate for good. You know, he got that idea of an amazing race in Argentina. When you think about their logo, it is a flag. Mm-hmm. It's like the Argentinian flag. And you get and one he, when you buy the product. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> right. You buy, you, you, and you buy a pair of shoes, they give away a pair free. Mm-hmm. And that is the core ethos of how that brand was started and how Blake did it. So, you know, I think Blake is, was, a, was a pirate for good. I think Steve Jobs was. I think they got called up and, you know, they, they build stuff and they have to build stuff that makes money. And, but he wanted to create and spark a revolution that empowered people to do whatever it was they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's a pirate for good. And so, I, I, you know, there, there's so many names for it. I think what helps, Craig, is that sometimes as we're all going through our stuff that we go through day to day, um, I just hope that wrapping things up in pirates um, might make you take notice and spend some time to work on finding more meaning, doing more good at a community level that serves more than just the bottom line mm-hmm. of your company. And and I, I think if you go through some of that and and put yourself through the paces, you know, put your stuff on the table and um, um, and evaluate it right now and say, is this what I want to be known for and I'm going to be proud of five years from now? If it's not, wipe it off and try to look at it from a different set of eyes. Yeah. Well, that's a lot to take in. <laughs> <laughs> It, it's it. My mind is blowing right now. So, 
Uh, I'll have to re-listen to this just to grasp it all. So that's wonderful. Um, societally, and I'll, I'll kind of wrap with this thought, and then you can expand on this a little bit. Um, what is the the long-term impact of the rise of social media and the fact that right now, you know, if I hold this device in my hand, I, it's a smartphone, um, I can do and reach the world. Yep. From anywhere I'm at. And that that can be good or bad. But what do you think the long-term impact on us as people, on the next generation, the that the um the social media things that we do, whether it's we post things and we wait for the likes or um you know, we we follow certain people because we like them or we think they do cool things or we you know support what they do what are we looking at you know 5 10 years down the road are are we going to see that as a as a positive or is this a, a spike and we need to get rid of it and get back to a more <laughs> you know personal interaction yeah you know you know it's a good question i think you you are seeing some people um jumping off of social media either they realize it's taking too much time out of their hands or they're doing it for political reasons there's all mm-hmm. kinds of reasons. I've got friends. My wife has friends that are going off of social media for a wide variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. They've just become a parent. They are, you know, are mad at what the chaos that just came out of the last couple of weeks politically. There's a lot of reasons out there. I think, you know, we as the way, you know, we have this really powerful tool in front of us. That's devices, whether it's our iPad, our laptop, our phone, our watch. And it's, it's going to stay a part of our life because there's going to continue to be people, rightly so, developing apps and applications that are co- going to continue to intrigue us. Mm-hmm. I, I, I hope that at the same time, we see people that, that are accountable and understand that, can't, that we can't just build things that creates more screen time for people to be absorbed in that we also build around our initiatives, opportunities for people to live, to be physical um, in their life, to explore, to come together, whether that's in a small group, a mini group, a big group, whatever we can do. Um, And and as well as democratization. Um, You know, I think, I wish I could do it. I think we need a, you know, pirate radio <laughs> app, you know, that, that we've got people that, did you ever see the, the Christian Slater movie? What was it? Pump up the ball, pump the volume or something where he was, it was years ago. He was basically running a pirate radio station talking about the ills of the world from his mm-hmm. like parents' basement. <laughs> and it's a really cool movie. If you can find it to try to rent it or watch it, but it's Christian Slater. And it's, he's kind of like running a pirate radio station. I, I dreamed of being a radio DJ. I was a member of the radio club and in high school, one year of college. And, and I love when they like for rock and roll, they used to like go out to sea and, and being just killer punk into England Mm -hmm. when it couldn't be played on the BBC. And, you know, there's an opportunity to grasp that power with technology in the future. So there's going to be people that do it because you, it's, it's apps, people absorb it, they entertain it, it's their distraction device. But 
but I think the future is for those that build it for good and and also to understand that we can't just build more apps and more shiny objects that we dig deeper into and all of a sudden we realize it's two o'clock in the morning and we've been attached to our mm -hmm. playstation or our laptop or our phone just put it down yeah. and live life so we've got to find balance and i think as a marketer shame on us we can do better yeah we we, we need to we need to start thinking about that. There was a manifesto written years ago called the first things first manifesto that said that was a call out to designers that said, what are you doing? You used to be designing things that made a difference in the world, road signs, mm -hmm. um, maps, um, um, products for human and health and services. Now we're doing it to just create more capitalism and that's needed. You got to pay the bills. Um, I know that, but we can, but it can also, look good and be useful at the same time. <laughs> yes. And we can also, I mean, just think if we took a day, a month, a day, a quarter to do a little not-for-profit work mm -hmm. to find out a way that maybe we could build an app to help with, um, child abuse mm -hmm. or hunger or, um, you know, um, animal care. I mean, who knows what, um, diabetes, um, social, social injustice, you know, I mean, all, all, and a lot that is happening. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we're going to see it going. But I hope that what we're all going through together, the pandemic, um, a loss of life that I can't even comprehend, that it helps us to see the fragileness of our society yeah and you know i hope it does and so that's a great question i don't have an easy answer but that goes back to why i think it's important to think um sometimes radical give your permission to think radically you don't have to act on it yeah but just spend a little bit of time thinking that way about being a pirate for good. Well, that's kind of the concept of what the idea of free speech is. It's the ability to, to talk through maybe really uncomfortable situations. Because that's when you can figure out, nope, that's bad, or yep, that's good. Yeah. Um, you have this idea. Uh, the pirate radio model, is podcasting kind of a, a, a version of that, the beginning? Because I, when I talk to old the older generation, because uh, I have a network here in, in our town, and you know I've talked to Kiwanis, and they're primarily... I mean, you, you could probably put their demographic rather up there. Um, and the first question is, well, what's a podcast? And so what, what I've done is I've gone backward. I, I tell them, I say, remember back, back in the day when you used to sit around the radio console in the corner and the Lone Ranger would come on or, you know, the golden age of radio. Well, podcast is that. It's the new golden age of radio. Because it, it, but it's different because it's on demand. I get to go search out what I want. It's not, I, I don't have to wait for it to be fed to me. And I, I wonder, is that, is this the beginning of something uh, revolutionary that the big boys don't like? I think it can be. I, I, I think you're right. I think where podcasting, especially for people that might have that, that sense of, oh, we had, of nostalgia, mm -hmm. is that I think podcasting, it, it, me 
working around it, being in it, trying to do my own, what I've realized for myself, I'm probably not, it's probably, it's the way you format it. And in reality, programmed episodic content um, takes a little bit of the pirate out of me. Yep. You know, for me, you know, it, it, it would be, um, what I think would be interesting to do, I'll just go, I'll, I mean, I don't care. Somebody, they think it's a good idea. Take it. <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever do it. You know, I, I, w- I would love to have like a day a week that is from seven to 9 PM every Thursday night. I go live no matter what I'm doing. And some people do this, mm-hmm. but, but I, I think there's a, there, to me, the idea of pirate radio radio is a, a sense of, um, I apologize for my cursing, a little bit of a shit show. In, well, in that, that, that's what makes it fun to listen to because you don't yeah, know what's yeah, coming. It, it does. It, it's like, okay, we're, you know, if you want to, if you want to chat, come on tonight. This is, this is what I've got going on. And that's, and maybe it's that, yeah, but we're bound today by rules. We can't just spin a record. Right. It's like, you know, this is what I'm feeling today. It's mm-hmm. like, um, it's Foo Fighters monkey wrench i just mm-hmm. want to like freaking jam out for three minutes and then you know, <laughs> talk <let's>, about it <laughs> yeah let's talk yeah. about it that that and and i think we do that with podcasting but it's it's you know a lot of it is how you frame it up mm-hmm. and how you set up the storytelling yeah yeah so i uh, i think that's where i th- absolutely right i think you're right with podcasting but I think um, for me, if there was a pod, a, a pirate radio app, it would be, it would only be just a almost, go live button. And then yeah, start, it, would have, yeah. it would be like a transmitter yep. that you would be able to use when there's somebody in live in their, in their closet in America, mm-hmm. that you might need some humanity at seven o'clock tonight. That's, that's a real person right there. Now that would be freaking cool. Yes, it would. I'd, I'd be all over that. I'm sure I could do it from here. It, it's yeah. just the, getting the outlet, the avenue out. Uh, that, you're, you're right. So, and, yeah. and, and the dedication to it and giving up a little bit of that angst that it might be that crazy show. Yeah, it might be messy. Yeah. It might be messy. Yeah. You know, I might have somebody come mm-hmm. on and say something that I totally don't agree with. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be call in. I mean, you can just get on and give, give a monologue. And I think that's what a lot of pirate radio did. And and I, I I've really been thinking. I've done some research on this, and and I think there's I think there's something there, mm-hmm. um, and maybe that's what coming out of this, you know, is is is, and, and a lot of people are are already doing it. They're they're basically doing it. I guess you know, are they doing it under that flag of the Jolly Roger? You know that and, and that that holds you to a standard of whatever that means. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think that would be wonderful, and if if you ever do that, I'll listen in. Okay, and, cool. Or if well, I do it, I'm calling you up, and you're going to jump on every now and then. <laughs> well, I will reach out to you. I, that's I, I'm wonderful. Thinking, I'll think about it and see what the heck that's I can do. That's very cool. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. Gino Church, uh, where is the best uh, place for people to find you on the interwebs? Well, I am. Um, I'm, my work life is at wemustbebold.com, and... You can find me on Instagram. It's Gino Church. I'm on Twitter, Gino Church. I don't 
use it a whole lot um, for some weird reason. Um, LinkedIn, I have, I, it's, it's really weird. Uh, most of the people that I get that reach out, they're working on something, have an idea, is oddly through LinkedIn. I probably get five, six or more direct messages a day wow. on LinkedIn. And so I'm Gino Church on LinkedIn. I, I'd love to chat with you and bounce ideas off of you. Or awesome. You can tell me I'm full of bunk and that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's the joy of it, just having a conversation. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I love this this show specifically because my whole purpose is I just want a conversation with people about wherever it goes, yeah. and it, it right now it's people that I'm totally interested in, and okay. I just want to know what they're about, and you know okay. however it goes. We've had, I mean, a vast array. Uh, I've got next on Monday. I actually have Hugh Weber's brother, Adam Weber. He's a pastor yeah. and an author. He's coming on next uh, on Monday. Um, cool. And that will be you know it's fine. I have no idea where it's going to go. We'll talk about his book, and then I don't know. So, uh, but I appreciate your, uh, your insights. I, I'm fascinated by your, uh, your, your take on, uh, life and what community means. And, uh, it's, it's encouraging to me and very much, uh, inspirational. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me on. And I will say that what you're doing by doing this and is your, your, you're wearing that moniker, that badge of being, uh, a, a pirate for good, a, a, a crown, a, a town crier, so to speak. You know, somebody's <laughs> got to be willing to step up on the soapbox yeah. and put a story out there that people can react to, relate to, and be inspired by. And so I think there's a, I thank goodness there's a place out there and there's people like yourself that are providing these vessels out there for us because mm -hmm. it is a lonely time. And I think just hearing voices sometimes, whether you're sitting having coffee or going on a walk, uh, it's it's you know it's hard for me to listen to music right now because I want to hear what people are saying. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, I, I do. So I'm 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 less music, and I'm a huge music lover, and more less music, more talk, yeah. more conversation, yeah. yeah. So. And you can have a, a soundtrack in the background, definitely, but yeah. but it is that conversation. Awesome. Uh, we must be bold.com is the website, Instagram. That's, that's, that's at, it. At Gino Church. I follow your Instagram. It's always fun to see what you're doing. And uh, it amazes me the different things you throw up there. And it's, it's, it's fun. I, uh, it's random. Well, it's, it I, I could, do a lot, could do a lot better. And got a, I kind of took a little hiatus after I passed about, I put on about my dad. And mm -hmm. I did a little bit about we must be bold, but you're just trying to figure it out. And, yeah. you know, and, try, and, and I'm trying to decide what I really, what do I, and that's another thing, what do I want to use it for? Is it just me with moments in my life? I mm -hmm. kind of think it needs to be that lighthearted. I don't want to think too much about it. I don't want to like script mm -hmm. stuff. I don't think I, I don't think that's what I want to do, but yeah. anyway, thinking about it. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate all of your time. You're welcome. Uh, this is the interview podcast on the Y Millbank podcast network. I'm Craig Weinberg. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, ymailblank at gmail.com is our website or email address, website ymailblank.com. If you like the show, you want to help support it, there is a donate button on there that you can throw whatever value you got out of it. Uh, and it doesn't matter what it is. Everything helps to make this show happen. Um, thanks a lot, Gino Church. Have a wonderful day. Stay healthy. Um, we do send our condolences about your dad. Um, Thank you. If we can do anything else, let us know. 
Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time. Have a great day and stay healthy. Check up on your friends and neighbors. And do good. Be a pirate for good. Have a great day.